You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. folks, get rid of them fast. Get rid of anyone who makes your life easy to sin. If anyone is leading you into sin, cut them off. Do nothing with them. This happens a lot when we become saved. We go back into the old crowd and they're still doing the same old things that they did before and that you did before you knew the Lord. And it's always a temptation. It's always tempting to go back in there and pretty soon you find yourself doing the same things that they're doing because it's your old crowd. And it's like a rubber band. You go right back to your normal size. How hard is it to work at a bakery and not eat any sugar? If you're serious about not ingesting it, you remove the temptation, right? Pastor Dave reminds us today that it works much the same way when you become a Christian. You must separate yourself from your old life in order to not fall to the temptation. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 13 as he begins his message, From Love to Lust to Hate. You are So we've been plotting our way through 2 Samuel, and we've been spending more time on some things than others. But the first 10 chapters of 2 Samuel, we've seen God work incredibly things through David. He worked incredible things through David, who his heart was towards God. We know that he's a man after God's own heart. He used David and empowered him to defeat all of Israel's enemies. All of Israel's enemies were laid to rest. They were done with. He expanded the kingdom. The kingdom continued to expand. God had given David everything. He had blessed them abundantly. and provided for everything that happened and all his needs. The Lord used David in many ways to bring restoration to the nation of Israel. He brought them back to be one nation under God instead of being two. Remember, 2 Samuel is a book of restoration. And God is using David mightily. Then God makes an everlasting covenant with David. A covenant that we are partakers of. A covenant where he said that someone from your seed would sit on the throne of David forever. And we know that to be our wonderful Messiah, Jesus Christ. Wonderful blessing that David had. Remember David's wonderful words after he was blessed like that. Who am I? Who am I that you would do that? Who am I? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But in chapter 11, everything took a turn towards the dark side. Chapter 11 began a dark period in David's life, and it will continue through the rest of the book, sadly. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. When Bathsheba became pregnant, David turned to deception and murder to cover up his sin. And because of David's transgressions, he now had to face the judgment of God. He had to face God's chastisement as the hand of God's chastisement fell upon him in chapter 12. And the first thing that happened was the baby boy that was born to Bathsheba had died. But we saw that even during that time, David had great faith. David believed in God. He trusted in God. He loved his Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. So now as we begin this second section of 2 Samuel, David's days get even darker. They get even darker, and there's more disappointment. There's more heartbreak. There's more 
calamity that befalls David because of his sin, all according to Nathan's prophecy in 2 Samuel 12. And if you want to jump back there for one minute, look at verses 10 and 11 in 2 Samuel 12. Now therefore, this is Nathan speaking, the Lord is speaking through the prophet Nathan. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversary against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbors, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel." before the sun. There's where we're going. And even though David knew that the Lord had forgiven him, because it says so in chapter 12, verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. We serve a loving and gracious Lord. And his grace is abounding towards us even now. David lived under the old covenant. But God said, you will not die. Remember, the wages of sin is death. But God's grace covers the multitude of sin. God's grace continued to pour out upon David. Even during this terrible time, David understood what was about to happen. One commentator I read said this, quote, God had forgotten David's sin, but David was discovering that the consequences of forgiven sin are very painful, unquote. We know from 1 Chronicles 28.5 that David had been blessed with many sons. You can look at the genealogy in 1 Chronicles but it would be these same sons, these exact same sons who would turn these blessings into curses. It would be David's own sons who would be the adversaries that Nathan had told David about. They would be the one that raise up in his own household and come against him. The events we're going to study now in the next several weeks, to me, they read more like a romance novel than a scripture. They look like something that's happening on as the stomach turns on TV or something like that. I mean, it, it's incredible what you see. But you know what I thought? There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. So God is about to expose this, and David is, is about to really undergo some terrible events. In the next several weeks, including today, we're going to study about rape, murder, treason. And these events will test David's faith greatly. These events will test David's faith and bring him to the end. So as we begin chapter 13 and verses 1 and 2, it sets up these events. Let's read 1 and 2. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and Ammon, the son of David, loved her. Ammon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin, and it was improper for Ammon to do anything to her. So we begin with after this, after all of this mess with Bathsheba and Uriah, after the baby was born and had died, and David lamented over the baby while he was sick, remember, once the baby died, David no longer lamented. He went into the house of God and worshiped because he knew he would see the child again. He knew he would be in heaven with the child because he knew where the child was, and he gave the Lord praise. He went into the temple and worshiped. But after all this, the chastening continues. The chastening of David continues. And the players in this drama are Absalom, the son of David. His sister, Tamon, and Ammon, another son of David. Now, Absalom and Tamar were real brothers and sisters. They were children of David's wife, Michal, who was the daughter of Talmai, the king of Geshur. You can find that out in 2 Samuel 3.3. But Ammon was also a son of David, and he was the firstborn. 
Ammon was the firstborn from his wife Ahinoam, who was a Jezreelitess. Remember in 2 Samuel 3, 2. And being the firstborn, he was heir to the crown. He was David's successor. He was going to be the crown, first in line. So we read that Ammon, the son of David, loved Tamar. Well, we're going to find out that he really didn't love her. He just lusted after her. It really wasn't a love affair. He longed for Tamar so much that he became lovesick. He became sick within himself. And it was even more difficult because she was a virgin, meaning that she was available for marriage. She was available for marriage, but not to Ammon because marriage between a half-brother and half-sister were forbidden. It was forbidden by God's law. Interesting, when you read the names of these people, Tamar means palm tree signifying fruitfulness. Absalom means his father's peace, and Ammon means faithful and stable. As we go through the last half of 2 Samuel, you'll see that none of these names fit very well to them. So these are the leading characters to this romance novel. Ammon became sick. Let's continue in 3 and 5. But Ammon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Ammon said, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you and say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I might see it and eat from her hand. And here we meet another character in this romance novel. A true character, if you want to know the truth. A crafty friend named Jonadab. He also happens to be Ammon's cousin. You can look at that in 2 Samuel 13.3. He's Ammon's cousin. He was indeed crafty. And it's his wicked counsel that starts this snowball series of events to go through and basically just drives David to his knees. But it's a disastrous chain of events. Let me first say, if you have a friend like this, folks, get rid of him fast. Get rid of anyone who makes your life easy to sin. If anyone is leading you into sin, cut them off. Do nothing with them. This happens a lot when we become saved. We go back into the old crowd, and they're still doing the same old things that they did before and that you did before you knew the Lord. And it's always a temptation. It's always tempting to go back in there, and pretty soon you find yourself doing the same things that they're doing because it's your old crowd. And it's like a rubber band. You go right back to your normal size. Get rid of them you'll find that as you become more involved in Christ, as you become more involved in your fellowship, as you seek Christ, as you pray, as you read your word, these friends will start dropping off one by one because they'll see something in you that frightens them. And you become the aroma of Christ to them, although they're perishing. And they don't want any part of it. I remember when I first got saved, we thought we could stay with the crowd at Tech. And we even went to see the what was it called? The Fabulous Grease Band over at the Wildwood Convention Center. And they had the band there, and they were playing songs and stuff like that. And B and I were sitting there. We were having a great time. Of course, there was drinks. We didn't drink. And everybody's dancing and stuff like that. And so one of the guy's wives asked me to dance. And I said, okay. I asked B's permission. So I got up, and I was dancing her. And she goes, why aren't you having a good time? I went, what makes you think I'm not having a good time? Because I'm not standing on the table telling dirty jokes? Because I'm not drinking like a fish because I'm not hitting on you? I said, well, why do you think I'm not having a good time? Oh, it's because of that church. I said, no, it's because of Jesus Christ. I got the witness to her, but she left, and our friends faded away. 
which was a good thing. It was a good thing. It was sad, and it was a good thing. Now, I have to confess, unfortunately, not many of them have ever come back. Not many of them have ever come back. But they have to deal with them. I have to deal with me and my God. So if you have friends who lead you into sin, as good of friends, and they could be family members, gang, which is even worse. They could be family members. If you have friends who lead you into sin, my suggestion is get rid of them. Get rid of them. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. There are things that cause us to sin that we need to get rid of in our lives. You're being made holy inside by the Holy Spirit. You're being made and conformed in the image of Christ. He won't stand for those kind of things, and you'll get convicted. And if you continue, you'll face chastisement. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. From whom he loves, he chastens. Remember that. Get rid of him. So Ammon confesses his love for Tamar, and as I said, unfortunately, it was a case of lust. So Jonadab advised Ammon to deceitfully arrange for a private meeting with Tamar. Pretend you're sick and ask your dad. See, David indulged his children, like we all do. David indulged his children and gave them more leeway than they should have had. So he wanted to pretend that he was sick. He was going to ask David to send Tamar to him to comfort him and to make him a meal. And this was the plot, okay? So we're going to read 6 through 10. Then Ammon lay down and pretended to be ill. So right away, he's deceitful. Right away, you see deceitful entering the thing. And then when the king came in, this is David. David's the king. He saw him. Ammon said to the king, please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat from her hand. I mean, this guy's really playing it up. I mean, he's really, what a baby. I'm going to eat from her hand. Then David sent and home to Tamar, and now, now go to your brother Ammon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Ammon's house, and he was lying down. Then she took flour, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then he said, have everyone go out from them. And they all went out from him. Then Ammon said to Tamar, bring the cakes into the bedroom that I might eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into Ammon, her brother, in the bedroom. This, this has calamity written all over it. I mean, really, you know, and I feel bad for Tamar here because, now remember, he's the prince. He's heir to the throne. Is there some coercion here? Does she think, now, how do I refuse this guy? Do I have to go with him or am I going to get in trouble? You know, it's kind of like Bathsheba. You know, we said that when, when David went to Bathsheba, he really, this day and age, could have been convicted for sexual harassment, because he was the king, and he brought her to him. How does she refuse? How does she refuse the king? So it's the same sort of situation here. The plot thickens. Ammon plays sick, asks his father to have Tamar comfort him. The plan devised by Jonadab worked perfectly. Ammon sends everybody away. And this is what Ammon wanted. He wanted to be alone with Tamar because David commanded it. Why? Because David commanded it. David sent him. He had the perfect fall guy. It wasn't my fault that we had relations. David sent her to me. So we see the, the rationalization. Oh, how easy we rationalize our sin. How easy we rationalize the things we do. It's not my fault. I never want to take responsibility for me. It's always your fault for me. I'm never to blame. It's always your fault. If it was David's fault, Ammon would be say, it's not my fault. So the plot's real heavy now. And it seems that everything's working to Ammon's adventure. And here we have the unfortunate incident in 11 through 14. 
Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said, come, lie with me, my sister. He's asking her to have sexual intercourse. He's asking her, come lie with me. But she answered him, no, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not hold from me. In other words, if you want me, take me as my wife. Take me as your wife. But the king wouldn't probably give him to her. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than he, he forced her to lay with him. He basically rapes her. He basically rapes her. His evil and wicked heart is now exposed. The true self is revealed. He admits his incestuous desire. He wickedly suggests to Tamar that they have sexual relations. Remember again, he's a prince in the house of David. He's in line to ascend to the throne when David dies. He seems to be a spoiled prince who always gets what he wanted. So why can't he have Tamar in his own mind? See, our mind loves to play tricks on us. Our mind loves to tell us that we deserve these things. It's okay to have these things, even when they're horrible. Did Ammon think by any chance, let me run this by you. Did Ammon think by any chance, well, my, my father, the king, committed adultery and murder and got away with it. Why can't I commit rape and get away with it? Must run in the family. I love Tamar's reaction. Poor thing. Don't do this. Could she be any more clear? Don't do this. She tries to appeal to his logic, but he does not listen. He ignores her warnings. Why? Well, friends, lust clouds the mind. It clouds our thinking, and it blocks our vision. It keeps us from hearing warnings that are given by others. Lust is a powerful, powerful force. It's a powerful force, and unless we're submitted to the Holy Spirit, unless we're submitted to the Lord, that lust is going to run wild. When you're in that way, Guarantee you never consider the consequences. You never worry about the consequences. Very sad story, and it doesn't end well for either of them. Tamar easily saw how evil and disgraceful this was. She saw it for what it was, disgraceful. Ammon could not see what was so plainly evident because he was blinded by his lust. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. All these things are taking place right here. The pride of life. I'm the prince. I should have you. The lust of the flesh, I want you. Lust of the eyes, she was pleasing to the eyes, so he wanted her. In verse 15, we see the sad results. Verse 15, then Ammon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred which he hated her was greater than the love in which he had loved her. And Ammon said to her, arise, be gone. His lust turned to hate. He hated her more than he ever loved her, so therefore he really didn't love her. <laughs> he really didn't love her. When he got what he wanted, he ended up hating her, and he throws her out of the room. What a disgrace to this poor young bride, or princess, excuse me. What a disgrace. What was his attraction to her? It was simple lust, not love. He was attracted to Tamar for what he could get from her. He wasn't any concern for her. He could care less. In many lustful relationships, there's a combination of both love and lust, but in his case, it was pure lust. One commentator said this, quote, In this single-minded lust, Ammon only built upon the example of his father. David was never dominated by lust, but he was pointed in the same direction. Remember back in 2 Samuel 3? 
David began to multiply his marriages. He didn't take God's word on single bride. He started collecting marriages. And then, of course, in 2 Samuel 11, we have the sin with Bathsheba, all in the same direction, all with the same thought. Ammon's guilt made him hate Tamar. He was guilty. And he almost blames her for the action. Doesn't sound too far from what's going on these days. Unfortunately, it doesn't sound too far at all. Look at 16 and 18. So she said to him, no, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Then he called his servant who attended him and said, here, put this woman out away from her and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel and his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. What a horrible insult. What a horrible, horrible insult. He could have redeemed himself. He could have redeemed himself by at least trying to marry the girl. He could have redeemed himself. And there is, a, is something in Exodus 22 and Deuteronomy 22 that talk about this, about trying to redeem yourself. He could have put a money up there to compensate for the fact that he had taken her virginity. Now who would want to marry her? Now that her virginity was gone, who would want to marry her? And the Hebrew behind the Hebrew phrase, robe of many colors, is this, this was a full-length robe. And all the way down, the arms, legs. It was a privilege. It showed status. She was a princess, showing that she didn't have to work much. But he put her out and bolted the door. This isn't what's secret at all, because he called the servant in. All the servants knew that she was in there, and now the servant was taking her out. She deserved better treatment. Even though she was a woman, she deserved better treatment. Even though she was an Israelite, she deserved better treatment. She deserved better treatment because she was a relative. My goodness, she can go down the whole list. She deserved better treatment because she was a woman. She deserved better treatment because she was a princess. But Ammon treated her terribly. Terribly. Let's read 19 and 20. Then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Ammon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother's Absalom's house. She puts ashes on her head. She tears her clothes. Remember, when they tore their clothes back then, it was a sign of disgust. It was a sign of hate. She tore her clothes. She treated this calamity as something that was horrible, and it was. She didn't try to hide the truth for this terrible crime that was committed against her. She did not give the place a voice of shame. That this was somehow your fault, though she wouldn't take that on. It's interesting that when she saw Absalom, her brother, he knew. I wonder how he knew. Maybe he saw the look in her face. Did he know where she was? Probably. Has your brother been with you? Ammon probably thought he had concealed everything. Nevertheless, it was so obvious that Absalom, that he immediately knew that Ammon was responsible. Part of the blindness of lust leads a lustful man or woman to believe that his actions are not apparent. You are 
Our time with you is running short for today's edition of A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through 2 Samuel when you join us next time. But for now, you can listen to this teaching and others from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We encourage you to download these messages so they are available wherever you are. We know how busy life can get, but there's always time to pause, even if only for a few minutes. Those short breaks could be filled with the study of Scripture, getting to know God better through His own Word. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you join us for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel Cape May meets weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Or just visit assurehoperadio.com. If you're not able to join us in person, we are streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just follow the link you'll find at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message on Assure Hope. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover God doing great things in your life. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another edition of Assure Hope.